Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Neoma Ratio. My name is Thomas Daam. Today I'm at FITC, the annual Future of Innovation, Technology and Creativity event in Amsterdam. And my guest is Mike Hill. He's a multidisciplinary designer and co-founder of Character Design Studio in Berlin. Mike designs worlds for the entertainment industry, creating concepts for films, TV and video games like um, Blade Runner 2049, Games of Thrones, um, video games like Call of Duty and Horizon Zero Dawn. But uh, Mike is most interested in the psychologica of storytelling uh, and the understanding of mythology. 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 Psychology and mythology. Yeah, exactly. They are like really tongue breakers for my (laughs) my Dutch. (laughs) I should have tested it more. and it's crucial in understanding um, how great stories work. Yeah. So this was a really bad introduction. No, it's all good. Um, and actually, my main question is, um, where lays the base for this interest in the, the psychology of storytelling? Um, I guess the base is that uh, I've always loved film. Mm. And I have a handful of films that I really admire and I really enjoy and I've enjoyed for a lot of years and I can repeatedly watch them I can watch them again and again and again and I like to solve problems so when I when I identify that there's a problem that could be solved I'm curious about working something out so my big the problem that I identified is why is it that something like Jurassic Park a film I love works for so many people again and again and again mm. but then the sequels don't function on the same level and they don't actually create satisfaction. So my interest was in trying to work out how a great story works and that ultimately leads you to have to understand how people work Mm -hmm. because ultimately stories are just mirrors to people. Mm -hmm. And it was impossible to, to get to an understanding of great stories without first learning about mythology and learning about psychology and learning about how the human brain is organized even on a, on a basic neurological level um, this sack of flesh that is your brain is a complex but logical system and the way that it's organized can explain the way a story mm. affects you right. um, so that was the reason was just that I was just fascinated I'm, I'm also interested in how people work so Stories and psychology are all interconnected to mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. which I, I find quite fascinating. I haven't studied formally anything. Um, I, I don't. I'm not an institutional learner. I don't mm-hmm. like schools and I don't like colleges. Um, I just study things that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So just I'll find material that mm-hmm. explains things and I'll read it and then mm-hmm. I'll understand it and then I'll keep going through it. So. Okay. So you taught yourself everything, yeah, from the techniques of programs to how to sketch and and yes, yeah. There's a chain of events which are, I think, logical. Um, I was always good at art, so I could always draw, I could always paint, and I naturally wanted to do that. So initially, when I was seventeen, eighteen, I became. I started a small company with a friend. We were both good at graphics and good mm-hmm. at design. Mm-hmm. So we started to do that because we were naturally interested. And then that led to me developing skills with, say, 3D software, um, rendering, animation. Mm-hmm. I learned animation because I was curious about how things animate. Um, and it was just a curiosity that allowed me to 
keep taking steps into professional positions. So initially it was that I became a concept artist, which meant that game studios would ask me to visualize something. So I would draw a picture, but then I was learning 3D and animation. So then I would then get asked to do some 3D models and then I would make the 3D models. And then at some point what happened was that I became aware that I was making designs that didn't mean anything because they were in either a story or a game where the experience wasn't actually designed properly. And it's, there's no point in, in making a design for something if the overall experience is broken. Mm-hmm. You know, you use the expression polishing a turd, which is that you're, you're making something look attractive, mm-hmm. but it's not actually worth it. Right. And then I became interested in why is it not working? Why is my design not working? Mm. So eventually it was just that I got bored of making designs and not trusting that it was going to make a good experience. And then that led to what is a good experience? How is a good experience constructed? How does a human mind experience things? What do people care about? You know, and that's why the, I guess the, the subject of the talk like you, you said just before the, we started, was like, well, it seems to be about life. And it's like, well, yeah, I think it ultimately is about asking the fundamental questions of when we make stuff, in what way does it contribute to our life experience? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. But then if you have that question, then you keep getting taken into more and more subjects, mm-hmm. you know, eventually into philosophy and metaphysics. Because I like problem solving and my brain is organized for problems, I can identify problems and then just keep expanding the the arena in which I'm searching. Mm-hmm. So I just keep on drifting into different subjects. What I discovered was that in great stories, everything communicates. Mm-hmm. And that meant that even a prop has to be deeply, deeply connected to the theme and to the idea that you want the audience to feel. Mm -hmm. So you can't make a good prop, you can't make a good environment, you can't make a good, even a, you know, I designed, um, for Blade Runner, I designed sets and I designed the interactive elements. And it's ultimately, your job is not to create a prop, it's to create a method of communicating an idea. Mm -hmm. So you want to build associations unconsciously, you want the audience to to, the audience needs to buy into the experience, but at the same time, there's lots of hidden things that you can do that the audience doesn't consciously recognize, mm-hmm. but they feel it, mm-hmm. and it helps reinforce the overall experience. Mm-hmm. So going into the story aspect, made it feeds back. It's like you study story, and then the story information feeds back into design, right. and it's a cycle, you know? And great storytellers and great production designers and great directors, they are very, very careful about how they design objects in their world Mm -hmm. because it needs to give the audience something emotional Mm -hmm. it needs to tell them a story that's relevant to their position in the world you know it sounds a bit strange but um so yeah so ultimately it's like these little journeys into psychology and and mythology i'm only doing them so that it can reinforce my ability to design you can do hidden things. Is it something that you really spent a lot of time on? Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, I mean, let me think of a good example. Um, Well, I'll use an example, not from my work, but from um, 
from there's a film called Contact, which is directed by Robert Zemeckis. And there's a scene in the film, which I'd watched many times. It's a scene where the main character, who's called Ellie, she is walking to a chair. And when she gets into the chair, it's inside of this device, which is going to take her to another galaxy. So mm-hmm. in the film, there's an alien signal. And within that signal, it comes down to Earth through the radio transmission. And then within it is blueprints for a, a vehicle. Mm-hmm that is going to take this human being to another galaxy. Mm. That's the theory. And inside of that um, sequence, inside of that scene, there's a whole series of unconscious associations that have been baked in. Uh, So, for example, the scene is about, mythologically speaking, it's called a death and rebirth, which Mm -hmm. is that she's about to to metaphorically die Mm. and then be reborn through her experience. So... One of the things that Zemeckis does is he has the whole sequence be designed as if it's a walk to an electric chair. So the chair is supposed to be like a, you know, a launch chair, mm. but he designs the sequence so that when you're watching her walk, there are two guys behind her in these big black mm. um, like uh, kind of overcoats, and it's designed as if they're executioners, because as she's walking towards it, the audience consciously knows that she's going on a journey. But unconsciously, the associations are saying she's about to be executed. Mm. And that means that you have a tension, an emotional tension. And the chair itself is designed to look like an electric chair. So unconsciously, your brain is going, whoa, this is dangerous. Like She's going to die. And that's that's what makes it theatrical. Mm. If you made it logical, if you designed the chair as if it was supposed to just make sense, then you would never have any of those dramatic ideas. And great drama is about baking those ideas in so that the audience is thinking one thing but feeling another. Mm -hmm. But that means you need to design ideas into the the structure of the film and into the designs and into the script and into the music and into the sound effects that helps reinforce that. There's another aspect of um, that film which people don't notice is that the soundtrack, which is the the score, which was composed by Alan Silvestri, um, in that sequence, the music that's playing as she walks towards the chair is actually the same um, basic structure as tubular bells, mm-hmm. which is the soundtrack for The Exorcist. And it's the music that we associate with exorcism mm-hmm. because in the story, she, her death and rebirth is about her being exorcised, mm-hmm. as in removing her demons. So as you're watching the sequence, the music is basically giving you another association, mm-hmm. which is that she's going through an exorcism. So all these different layers, they all sit on top of each other. And then the net experience is an emotional one because it's all about different associations mm. all coming together. Um, and great storytellers do that. And, and bad storytellers don't have any understanding of it. So that's that's why bad stories happen. Is It is an art form. Um, and some directors do it intuitively. And some directors do it mechanically, Some they, they intellectually do it. Like Christopher Nolan is a very intellectual person. Steven Spielberg is a very gut person. Mm. So Steven Spielberg might not even be conscious of the things that he does, but some directors are. Like David Fincher also is, is a meticulous detail person and he knows what he's manipulating. Mm. Stanley Kubrick also mm. was, was a manipulator. And some directors are more just, ah, this feels right, let's do that. You know, but it's, it's an interplay, I think. Um, between intellectual and emotional. Um, 
I'm not sure if I answered the question. I'm not sure if I remember the question. No, but it, <laughs> that, that, that it does leave the matter. But I, I'm, I'm curious now, you work very systematically. Yes. And But do you also make, a, uh, are you aware of that you make a lot of um, unconscious decisions? Yes, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, what's the best way to answer that? So in, in, there's, a, there's a thing called psychological traits, which is that you can take various psycho psychology tests to understand how your brain mm. organizes the world. So I have, I'm high in what's called intuition, which is that on an unconscious level, um, my brain for some reason is fairly good at recognizing patterns, mm. like analogies, metaphors. It can see patterns between different systems. So it will see the similarities of things. And quite often when I'm designing something, I will reach a conclusion, but I didn't reach it. Like it's just that some protocol mm -hmm. in my brain goes, mm -hmm. ah, that connects with that. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it is unconscious. And then it's only afterwards when I analyze it that I'll say, oh, I think I selected that idea because of this. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a mix. So sometimes it's top down, yeah. like intellectual plan, and sometimes it's just intuition up. Which is just that, oh, this feels good, right. you know? And I think every human works that way. It's just mm -hmm. different balance. Some people are extremely f like intellectual and some people are extremely like esoteric or like feeling. And I've worked with people that do that too. People like production designers where they cannot explain anything. Mm -hmm. They just simply say, that feels right. right. Like, I want that feeling. Right. But they, they couldn't even express what that means. Mm -hmm. And then your job is to find it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, if you want that feeling, then I have to analyze how to get that feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, everyone's, everyone focuses in different ways. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I like problems because problems is patterns. Mm -hmm. That's all it is, it's just yeah. pattern recognition. If, if a, somebody can only explain their feeling, yeah. how do you deal with that? I think you just have to be perceptive. You have to be not intuitive, but if someone can't explain the feeling, you just have to Yeah, but like they, maybe they can explain the feeling, but they don't know how it should look visually. Or oh, and that happens a lot. You get designers that don't actually have the craft of, they can't draw, right. they can't paint, they can't, right. but they're, they're paid because they're trusted with their feelings. And then your job is to try and create their feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and that can go good or bad, like that. Sometimes people, I don't know, it varies, like that there are... I think it does work in the end, mm -hmm. that if someone explains a vague feeling, mm -hmm. that in itself at least helps you um, limit mm -hmm. your options. Mm -hmm. Because you say, well, I could do this, but that has associations with a different feeling. Mm -hmm. So I won't do that, so I'll do this. So mm -hmm. it's almost like a, the feeling is like a goalpost. It's like, well, the more specific the feeling, the easier it is to, to aim. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's very vague. Some mm -hmm. people are like, well, I just want it to feel meh. You're like, what am I doing with that? I, I can't do that. But if they say, well, I want it to, I want it to be about anxiety. I want it to elicit the idea of fear. Mm. I want the person to feel in danger. And then those are very specific things. Mm. And then you can design, a, you can design something that makes those associations. Like with contact, like I said, the, I'm sure that the director said, I want this to be a death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. So then the production designer can say, well, what if we make it? A metaphorical execution right and then suddenly you have a goal okay yeah we can do that 
let's mm. do that. Mm. You know, and he, even Zemeckis openly says in that scene, there's a, her chest design. She's got this chest metal chest plate on, and he actually says in the in the um, commentary, he explicitly wanted there to be an association with Joan of Arc, because Joan of Arc is a martyr, mm -hmm. and this woman who's about Ellie is about to go on a journey where she's going to sacrifice herself mm -hmm. for the progress of human exploration and mm -hmm. faith, effectively. So he said, I want the chest plate, which is a mechanical, technical design. I wanted it to look like a medieval, mm -hmm. like warrior mm -hmm. cast. So then you have that association. So it's very, there's a logic to it, you know, but different, I think uh, different designers get to that logic in different ways. Um, yeah, and different directors have a better understanding of how those decisions work. Someone like Robert Zemeckis, who makes like Forrest Gump and Castaway and um, Fly to Back to the Future, but he's a very cerebral dude. He understands what he's manipulating. But I think some directors don't think in that way. They mm. they, f they just feel it. You know. In fact, I've I've worked with some directors who don't like the idea of manipulation. So if you say we could consciously do this, mm -hmm. it makes them go, "Huh, that seems yeah. insincere." Yeah. But I don't see it that way. I think you, you, the job of a, of a storyteller is to positively manipulate. Right, to enrich the, exactly. the story. Yeah. So that you can experience the movie or the game on a different level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you can manipulate that, then manipulate it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, As long as you know how, how to manipulate in a positive way. Because you can also manipulate people negatively. You can, propaganda mm -hmm. is about manipulation, but... There's a in psychology it's called soft paternalism, which is that when you know how to manipulate somebody, but you manipulate them for their benefit. Like that's what parents do when they when they psychologically trick their children into eating vegetables. Mm -hmm. You know that's manipulation, mm -hmm. but it's positive. They tell them a story of like, well, if you eat your veggies, then you'll get this. It's like a reward system. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's what storytelling is. It's, it's paternalism. It's like giving guidance, but just not, not teaching people explicitly, but giving them a lesson by allowing them to experience mm -hmm. a character they can relate to, experiencing something, it allows them to live that experience right. and then say, ah, okay, in that situation, the best way to act would be this, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, that's my theory, at least, so, interlude. Yeah. What I was wondering is, you know a lot about uh, mythology and psychologically, mm -hmm. how do you use it in your daily life, with your business or in your personal life? Do you use it also or are you aware of this? Yes, I am. I think to some degree I learned a lot about psychology because I wanted to understand myself. I think everyone wants to understand right. themselves and everyone wants to develop and if you're unhappy, you have to ask yourself questions about Well, why why am I not happy? Mm -hmm. So in some respects, like I think a lot of the stuff I learned was just curiosity about well what's what's happening in there mm -hmm. that's not right. Mm -hmm. um, but I do definitely um, apply a lot of the things that I'm talking about to daily life, like in terms of even just small things like consciously doing things that are um, unknown just to, to expose yourself. Mm -hmm. you know so sometimes if I'm in a position, where there's one choice that's very easy and one choice that's a bit more uncomfortable, mm -hmm. I'll say, okay, it's better to take the uncomfortable choice just because it will 
develop me further. Mm. So I think there's a there's like a a kind of I don't know internalized wisdom that you can develop when you study psychology and myth because then you can codify the best way to behave even when it's uncomfortable. Mm. So sometimes it's like I don't want to do that, but I know it's better for me if I mm. do it, you know. Um and usually that relates to just taking on challenges or taking on things that are uncomfortable, mm. you know? Right. Mm. So, like, you work in Berlin? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, and sometimes you're in L.A., probably. Or uh, I just left L.A. I'm currently living in Budapest at the moment. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I'm living there at the moment. But I'm, I have no home. I'm, I'm homeless. So ah, okay. I'm just traveling. So. But uh, how does it work then? Because you can work remote, and when you do a project, you are on location. Yeah. And how does the, this influence your thinking? Um, Because you have to adapt to like. The yeah, I'm not. I'm not good at. Um, I prefer having autonomy, being right, in control of my day. So I don't really like being in any environment where there's like. I have to be there at nine and I have to stay there till five. Mm. That doesn't, I don't like that. Mm. So I like traveling just to, to meet new people and to be physically connected with, say, you know, I've just worked on um, Dune, which is this new Denny Villeneuve movie. And I was also working on a Halo TV series. And being in Budapest allowed me to, like, visit the production and meet people, mm. and, you know, and that's that's really positive right. but at the same time I also want the ability to say okay I need to be by myself now and yeah. think you just yeah. think about this um, so it's nice to have that balance because yeah. if you do either too much it's unhealthy yeah. but you know it's not healthy to be a freelancer and be completely isolated yeah. and it's also I don't think healthy to spend every day going into a um, like a rigid institutional work like you, right. you need personal freedom you know um, but it, I, the more as I'm getting older, I, I prefer being around people. I want to be near and interacting with people a bit right. more. You know. I also saw you work with Dutch companies like uh, yeah, yeah, games. like Gorilla. Yeah. Um, it, well, I, I love traveling. Like, I love being able to go and experience. Like, I worked for Gorilla in Amsterdam, and then um, been in Berlin, Berlin Studios, American Studios, like Activision, Call of Duty. I just like moving around. Like, I, in fact, it's. What I've realized is that one of the reasons I don't have an apartment right now is that I would much rather constantly move for short periods, you know, oh, go for a month here, go for a month there, go for a month somewhere else. That I find really exciting because it keeps things fresh and you experience new places. So that's that's good. And I would like to continue that if I can mm -hmm. find a way to continue just moving, right. you know. So maybe go to Asia or something. Um, just, yeah, mix it up. nomads. Yeah, I, I didn't think I would be, but now that I'm yeah, starting like it, it... It's a digital moment. Yeah, it, it's yeah. beginning to get that way. And I, I didn't know it was like possible for people working in your industry, because like mainly there are people doing UX or, you know, that they are all in Asia trying to do their own I've, Yeah, no, I've been, I've been lucky, because concept art is a very... Um, it's, a, it's, it's quite an outsourced job. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can... You can. That's okay. Yeah. Do you want to? Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, um, what was the? Sorry. What was the question? Oh, it's to do digital nomad. Yeah. Well, my specific job is it's possible to 
to do it freelance because what the client wants is ultimately a product, like a design, and they know that it's it's quite it is it's a very individual job. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a team effort. Mm-hmm. It's you get told what is needed, mm-hmm. and then you by yourself develop, create, paint, illustrate, and deliver. Right. There's not a need for you to be anywhere. You know, I can do it on my laptop. And that's very fortunate in terms of freedom because companies just, they they sometimes just want the, the convenience of saying, we have a problem, we don't want to employ you, we don't want to look after you, mm. we just, here's, we need your help. We need your help. Yeah. Can you do this? And we'll just right. pay you. Yeah. And that's that's perfect for me, at right. least. So I try and encourage that. Right. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. It's like When it works, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. So you're just you're a freelance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm very much freelance. Like I left my studio in uh, Berlin. Um, that was founded with me and four other guys, mm. uh, three other guys in 2011, no, 2009, sorry. And um, I left in 2013. So I co-founded it, mm. but I wanted freedom. So right. I was managing the company, and I'm not a manager. I don't mm. like doing finance. Right. I don't like schedules. And I just said, I don't want the responsibility. Uh-huh. So I still work with them, they're, they're great yeah, guys, yeah. but I just wanted to be... Yeah, independent. Independent, right. autonomous, yeah. Right, so my whole introduction <laughs> makes no sense. No, no, it does, work. no, it does, because the introduction is co-founder, which is right. exactly what I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Yeah, that will always true. be that's a co-founder, yeah, 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 so... Yeah, that's true, yeah. So, that, yeah, that's so funny. Um, um, can you tell about how you created your talk? Because it has um, three stages. Yeah, you yeah. have the introduction, then you have the middle part, and then you show three examples. Yeah, 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 yeah. And can you can you tell about how you did the research and how you structured your talk? Because well, there, yeah. So the, the the talk itself is almost uh, like a a what's the word a cocktail of three separate talks mm-hmm. because the the very first talk that I did I did a talk in 2016 exclusively about Jurassic Park mm. that's online on YouTube um, that was very successful in terms of it, it, not viral is not the right word but it's you know it, it got hundreds of thousands of views mm. um, and it was just talking about how Jurassic Park is an allegory is a metaphor right. so then I did that and then I did another lecture about Terminator and in that Terminator lecture I talked about the hero's journey and the monomyth and Joseph Campbell so for this talk what I did was I took I ditched Terminator and just took the monomyth and then combined it with the Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and then combined it with the Dark Knight, which mm-hmm. was the new ingredient. Right. Um, and because it was an hour talk, I just wanted to pepper, just to like touch a few different things. But each of these subjects, I could easily do a, I, I, would, I could happily do a lecture about one of them in depth, like really in depth. But the question is, can you keep people's attention? Right. Because this is an this audience here is not a film industry audience. It's no. it's a it's multi-dimensional right. designers. It's UX. Right. It's UI. Yeah. So my goal was to try and make something that didn't require too much attention, mm-hmm. but was also accessible. And that meant that oh yeah okay so we'll look at Star Wars a mm-hmm. little bit. And then at the moment where it might get a bit boring, Dark Knight. Right. And then the moment we get a bit bored, Jurassic Park. And right. the idea is that each of those things people already feel connected to. Mm-hmm. So my hope, and I don't know whether I'm successful, I get different feedback, is I think that it, people can relate to it because they know these films. And ultimately, what I'm saying is these films are about you. Mm-hmm. 
it's always about you. Mm. And I think that people relate to that because it allows them to see, oh yeah, I feel that way when I watch this film because of, there's reasons for it, you know? Right. And I think people connect to that. They connect to that idea like, yeah, this story is about me, mm. you know? It's, yeah, sure, it's the Joker from Batman, but what he's saying, now I think about it, mm. affects me because mm. it's, it's how I feel about mm. certain things. Yeah. You know, and that's what great stories do is they, they put characters on screen that allow you to express certain mm. feelings that you can't express in daily life. I mean, that's what, that's what yeah. stories are for. Yeah. It's like simulations. Mm -hmm. yeah. I saw the Jurassic Park um, talk a couple of weeks ago and I noticed that when I watched Jurassic Park, I wasn't aware of all the mm. uh, meta layers that, were, yeah. that are in there. Yeah. Like the, the, all the unconscious layers that are... You, I didn't see it. Yeah. But maybe it was too long ago. I was in, no, I no, know, no. It's just entertainment because no. when you watch a movie, I don't do video games, but when you watch a movie, you're not always aware of all the no. all the layers. No, no. You, in fact, you you you're not aware of most of them. Um, even like neurologically speaking, I think the studies show that 90% of your brain activity mm. is dealing with functions that you have no conscious awareness of. Right. Like for example, you. You have no conscious awareness of your skin regulating temperature. Mm -hmm. You have no conscious understanding of your heartbeat changing its its rate. Mm. Everything you're doing is unconscious. Mm. There's just a small fraction of you that is self-reflective. Right. And a story is, is designed to affect all of the elements of you that you have no access to. Mm. And it and when it does that, the the emergent result is just a feeling. Mm. You know? Yeah. So you shouldn't know about it. Right, okay. You know, in fact, in, in some respects, no, for sure you shouldn't, because it, the, in some respects, like the t what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. an audience member shouldn't know. In fact, they definitely shouldn't know, because the moment they know, they're consciously concentrating. Right. And the whole point of a story is that it's supposed to be that you're relaxed, right. you're passive, yeah. and you just take it all in. And afterwards, you feel something, mm -hmm. but if you already know what you're looking for with thought, mm -hmm. then you're just analyzing. That this is not available, yeah. you know, and that's why stories work that way. Right. That's why directors never, in general, directors never admit to what they're doing, right. because the moment that someone is like, "Oh, so you're consciously manipulating me," well, then the trust is broken. Mm -hmm. You need to feel like it's all just an artistic gesture, right? You know. So, yeah. When I saw your uh, talk about Jurassic Park on YouTube. Um, made me think differently about um, how to watch a movie. Cool, well, that's great. I mean, I think people are really, when they see the hidden messages, they're like, oh, yeah, wow, right, like, wow, right, you know. And I, that's the effect. That's the feeling I had when I realized when I started to analyze Jurassic Park, and I realized that the whole thing was an allegory right. for parenthood, and then every scene just had a different meaning. And I was like. Oh, that's why they're doing that. Yeah. That's why this is yeah. happening. That's why this, it's all a theme. And I remember feeling like really inspired by that. Just like, wow, this is, this is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like super smart, yeah. super intelligent. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's getting a little bit noisy. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Let's round up. Cool. Um, let's go to the, to the section, um, which is a neon five. It's a single recommendation in five categories, okay. and I want to start with the first uh, category: is book. Which would um, you recommend? Uh, oh, um, Leela by Robert Piercyk. Okay. 
Okay. The second is a movie. Magnolia. Magnolia, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, and then which scene? Which scene? Yeah, sorry. Um, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think the deathbed scene is unbelievably powerful with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 With Julia, um, what's her name? Yeah, Ju uh, Julie. Moore, yeah, Julia Moore. Julia Moore. Yeah. 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 Um, third is um, food. I like eggs. I'm, eggs. I'm simple. Protein. Get some protein in. Protein. Okay. Good. <laughs> so, um, okay. Oh, no, avocado with balsamico and salt. Okay. There we That's go. Even better. Yeah. Okay. Let's go for that. Okay. And the music. Apparat. We zijn over twee minuten klaar. Uh, sorry. Sorry. What, what is Apparat. Apparat. What yeah. is that? It's a German electronic um, musician. It's okay. Good. Yeah. I have to check it out. It's good. Music. Yeah. Okay. Last one is miscellaneous. Something from your life you would recommend? Oh, um, CrossFit. CrossFit. Yeah. Training. Yeah, you look very sharp. <laughs> I just started like two months ago. It's amazing. Okay. I love it. It makes me so happy. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Wow. I do. I do. Do that. You should do it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's very okay. satisfying. Yeah. Ah. Okay. And is it like on a bike and just? No. It's a. It's like a class you go to where they make you do lots of different exercises okay. and it's very intense, but okay. it's very satisfying. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool. And uh, thank you so much. And where can people follow you? Oh, uh, so I'm on Instagram, um, I, although I don't remember my handle. Let me have a quick look. I've got a website, www.mikehill.design. Um, you can Google Mike Hill YouTube, um, and I'm there. And uh, my, if I know how to operate... Oh, mikehill.design is my um, Instagram tag. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, it's Thomas. New episodes come out on Mondays. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, neomare.com or wherever you listen to the show. Let me know what you think of the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by dropping a note on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Daam, at neomare, and on Instagram at neomareshow. If you are listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast and you find some episode notes. Next to that, Neomare has a weekly newsletter called Neo Monday with the latest conference news and updates on our digitalized world. You can sign up for Neo Monday at neomare.com slash subscribe. And now we also have a Patreon page and you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash Thomas Thanks for listening.